Talking Cure, Conversations with Jet Wheeler, is presented by the Office of Arts and Cultural Programming and Peak Performances at Montclair State University. Well, good morning. Good morning. This is Jed Wheeler, and I'm here today um, talking with Christy Geslin on The Talking Cure. And I cannot tell you, all you wonderful listeners, <laughs> what an amazing human being this lady is. <laughs> We've, Christy Geslin is the executive producer for a unique cultural hub called All Arts that was created not so long ago by WNET. And as of today, um, uh, Peak Performances is uh, officially in partnership with All Arts for what um, I uh, describe as a highly um, innovative um, broadcast initiative. Um, quite unusual in the United States of America, um, frankly. Um, I'm not, I don't believe I'm overstating the case, but that's part of what I want to talk about with Christy. Um, Peak Performances is known for highly contemporary work. Broadcast television is not known for highly contemporary work um, at all. And so we have recorded five programs uh, from the previous so-called peak season, and we intend to record many more. But Christy, what's the philosophy? Why peak performances? I mean, I feel so lucky that you and your extraordinary team um, has said, well, you know, that's sort of a good idea. Those people are a little off the wall out there and uh, in Montclair, and uh, we're going to have fun with them. Tell me more. Tell me more about your agenda. Yeah, well, you know, it kind of all goes back to the all arts uh, mission and agenda. I mean, we're a new, um, scrappy, hungry uh, arts media hub, as you said, and we are looking to work with a variety of arts partners doing a variety of things in different genres, different scale, different locations. Um, and so we're not trying to um, do the same that we have already seen on, on big broadcast channels. Um, we're not trying to um, adhere to any sort of rules or uh, uh, methods of um, production and distribution. We're really just trying to be experimental and get out there and partner with everyone and see what works, see what resonates with audiences, see what resonates with artists, and really try to give a new and exciting platform to artistic voices out there. So uh, when I came to the CASER with our artistic director, Jorn Weisbrot, who introduced us, it seemed like Peak was trying to do that exact same thing. So our, our missions seem to be very much aligned. And, uh, you know, artistically, it seemed to me to be a perfect fit. And then when I heard more about the production capabilities that existed there, both in the theater and at the School of Broadcasting Communications, I mean, it was, it was a total no-brainer. I mean, for me, this partnership has come together so um, 
seamlessly. And we've really been able to combine our strengths to accomplish something that, um, you know, I don't think either of us could have done on our own. And that's, that's the best kind of partnership for me. Well, my, our very first experience um, was with the Ann Bogart, Elizabeth Streb, Chuck Me um, extravaganza, mm -hmm. Falling and Loving. And uh, I think you've heard me say this, but I will continue to say this. Um, it was an amazing first collaboration with probably technically the most complex production. Yet we, uh, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't effortless, but the professionalism of your team coming into the Kasser Theater and joining with Ann Bogart and Elizabeth Streb and my production team uh, to realize what I believe was a 12 camera capture, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, quite a big moment. Um, uh, somebody should have been filming how big my eyes were getting as we were recording this. But um, so it was at that point that I knew that I was um, on a journey with some very unique people. Yeah, Falling in Loving was just an incredible um, way to start the project because it was so complicated. I mean, everything about it from the start. Um, and and it was so energizing for me. I mean, I, I really um, love those projects that are kind of the most complicated. You know, the ones with all of the contracts and the budget challenges and the production challenges and all of the things that you really need to kind of dig into and untangle. I actually quite, quite like doing. Um, and this was one of those shows that there was just so much to, to figure out um, in pre-production and production and post-production. And it was such a joy to be able to do that with people who were just number one, just so nice and so collegial, um, but also just knew what they were doing. I mean, the, the technical staff at the CASER are, they're the best. I mean, anything that I asked for or needed help with, or, you know, we were placing microphones that we were, that they were pulling out of like the corners and, and replacing on the stage up until I think the, the last second before the audience came in and everyone did it, you know, did a great job and were, you know, doing it with a smile, which makes all the difference. Well, we're still smiling. We will continue to smile. Um, well, wait till you see the final, the final show. You haven't seen the whole thing yet with the open and the credits and the graphics. And I mean, it is just, well, it's October 11th, October 11th is the big launch date. Yeah. Um, and I mean, part of what, all arts is doing um, is making uh, available um, to the, uh, as wide an audience as possible work that, in, from my view, is very special. Um, yeah. And uh, falling in loving is a very good example of the kind of risks that I now know all arts wants to take, um, which is that is in and unto itself it is bigger than anybody really understands because Falling in Loving was seen in, we did, I forget, four or five performances. Maybe we had 1,500 people um, who were stunned by it. Um, no two ways about that. 
Um, and then it finished. It's a technically very complicated piece. Um, as much as I'd like to say that it's not our work, it's some, it belongs to Streb and, and, and uh, Bogart, but um, who else is gonna see it? Right. And now, now this very American creative work is gonna be available in as professional a capture as anybody could ever imagine. This is, this is what makes all art so special. Um, I mean, it's, it's opening, you know, audiences everywhere now are going to be able to see Falling and Loving. Yep. It's, I think back, you know, it's funny, with, with Falling and Loving, I keep thinking back to um, my college days and even before. I did a theater intensive when I was in high school, and it was the first time I was introduced to Anne Bogart and the viewpoints. And I remembered um, just being so taken with her philosophy. And, you know, even I, I think I was 16, you know, I had done high school theater. And all of a sudden, you know, we did this workshop and viewpoints really just were a, a whole new, exciting way of looking at performance that I had never encountered before. And then again, I got to college and, you know, learn more about her. But it wasn't until I was much older that I saw a city company show live. And I keep thinking back, like, wouldn't it have been awesome, you know, as the the 16 year old like theater nerd, if I could have tuned in and seen Falling in Loving and, you know, seen her work there immediately on my phone or my computer or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very cool, not just for um, the Anne Bogart fans of the world, but for, you know, everybody that can't actually see the work of their favorite artists in a theater, and especially now. Well, this is a very, I mean, that's a very interesting uh, train of thought, because one of, the, one of the things that does come up um, when I talk about what we're doing with all arts and capturing these performances um, is, you know, are you trying to replace live performance. Um, live performance has its own, um, there's a texture to live performance, a human communication. Um, and I, I just wonder how you feel about that. What, what, I mean, we're not, you're not replacing, I know that. Um, and I think people get a little um, upset with the idea um, that we're capturing. Um, but they don't really understand that uh, people have been capturing performances, uh, audio performances for decades, mm -hmm. um, you know, in all, all music genre. And it hasn't um, uh, reduced the possibility of live performance. In fact, it's done the opposite. Right, right. Yeah, I don't see what we're doing um, or anyone who's capturing any performing art um, as a, a replacement or a, a competition for the live thing. I mean, I'm a lifelong um, performing arts fan and there's nothing like, you know, walking into the theater and getting the playbill and sitting down and, and being with people and, and experiencing um, the live event that, and nothing will change that. But there's a, a whole world beyond live performance and a whole set of viewers out there who either don't have access to live performance for you know, a whole bunch of reasons 
Um, or, you know, now the whole idea of live performance has changed. So we have all of these tools at our disposal, all of these ways to capture live performance and give it a life beyond the stage. And, you know, why not take advantage of that and look for new ways to capture it, create a whole new vocabulary for what performing arts on film or on video means. Um, I mean, I think that can only help to strengthen the entire art form. I don't, I don't see it as even kind of a competition. You know, it's, it's just um, another, another part of what performance can be. There was a, a recent interview, not a, I guess it was not really an interview, but there was a recent article talking about Merce Cunningham. And, and Merce was uh, using video, this is what he's been doing, which he had been doing for decades. Yep. And at, at some point, somebody, you know, um, asked him just this question about which is, you know, what's happened to live performance? Is it, is, are you going to continue choreographing for live shows as well as for, um, for video? And he just said in his usual matter of fact way, why not do both? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also too, as a mom now, I have a, a three and a half year old, um, who is a natural born performer big time. Right. Um, but you know, I watch her and you know, I'm not, I'm not taking her to the New York city ballet yet, but I can put on, you know, a recording of the Nutcracker or, you know, whatever. And she can watch and be totally captivated and go off and do her ballet performances for us in the living room. And that, you know, inspires her. And I, during my time before I came to WNET, I was at Lincoln center and I worked on live from Lincoln center which for anyone who doesn't know is a uh, performing arts um, national PBS brand. It's been on the air for 40 something years. And um, as part of my work there, I would interview a lot of the artists that appeared on our show. And so many of them, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard, oh, you know, I was a little kid in Kansas or wherever, and I would watch live from Lincoln Center on PBS, and it's the first time I saw this, or it's the first time I saw that, or it's the first time I heard this piece of music. And, you know, that stuff is powerful for the next generation of artists and audiences who are coming up. And that's how a lot of people are first introduced. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that part of the equation is important to consider too. Well, there's a little, for me, there's a little bit of a back to the future part of this. I mean, in keeping with your description of a child in Dubuque, seeing live from Lincoln Center, when I was growing up in Washington, D.C., uh, 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 television was at its um, inception. This was the early 50s. Mm -hmm. And um, I had the good fortune of having a parent, my father, who worked, worked very closely with uh, RCA and RCA in fact, developed the first television tube along with Zenith. And uh, so we had a television set. And the first opera I ever saw, I didn't know it was an opera. No one said, Jed, I want you to watch this opera. But the first thing on television I saw was Amal and the Night Visitors. This was 1953, 54. Um, and, you know, it, it was, and there's something very much a part of me in this partnership of going back to how television, if used properly, 
can in fact expand audiences and introduce young minds to worlds that they would never experience otherwise. Yep. There was no opera house in Washington, D.C. in 1954. There was Constitution Hall, where Marian Anderson was signed, but there was no opera house. There was no Kennedy Center. There was no way. So, I mean, just so what all arts is doing is expanding audiences for the performing arts. I mean, it's it's a major, major national gift. I mean, I'll, I'll go out. I'll go out on a limb. Um, and say that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really have to, I mean, I, I've been um, uh, at All Arts for just about two years now. So I was there kind of right before we launched to now. And, you know, as I said, I'd been at Lincoln Center before and I loved my job. And it was really, um, you know, it was going to be tough to get me away from there. I didn't think I was ever going to leave, honestly. But then I heard about all arts and I saw the commitment that WNET had made to it and I was you know I was kind of in awe of the whole thing I mean it's 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 rare for a company to um, throw themselves behind an, an all arts uh, agenda I guess you could say so thoroughly and the fact that that Neil Shapiro and the board and um, my executive in charge Diane Michelli were we're able to envision this thing and really commit to it on such a grand scale, I think is, is really impressive because it's not really happening anywhere else right now. So I feel very fortunate that they did. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's certainly not happening. Um, I hope it happens some more somewhere, but it's definitely not happening and it wouldn't be happening without WNET doing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the other benefits that I'm exploring um, is uh, how students uh, on our campus will be able to experience peak performances ongoing. I mean, this because it's a it's evergreen. I mean, it, it's twenty four seven, um, and it's just such an anomaly for me because we have four hundred and sixty seats and four performances and the 22,000 students on campus. Now, I have no expectation that 22,000 students are gonna go see Falling and Loving, but now there's the possibility of the academic elements on the campus to in fact be utilizing the work that you're doing in a way um, to further um, creative development, insights yep. into creativity. Of their own personal within whatever discipline they've chosen. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's an incredible educational tool for sure. You know, and and not only just when you think of the you know, falling in loving, for example, or Richard Alston, one of our our dance programs. Maybe that's a, a better example for um, students of dance at Montclair. I mean, we're putting out uh, the finished product, the multi-camera shoot for all of our audiences. But, you know, Montclair also has all these individual camera feeds. So, you know, there's certainly a world where dance professors, for example, could go and find these specific angles that really illustrate what they're trying to show their students and kind of create new ways to work with uh, the material that we've captured beyond just the finished product show that viewers are going to see. But I think there's other ways that um, 
you know, everything that we've captured can be utilized in creative ways by, by the faculty and the students. I have a question for you. Um, yeah. What, imagine, what would you imagine that I can bring to you that you can't get any place else? I mean, what, I mean, if you could, if you could imagine a, a work, who, I mean, what, is there an artist? This is an, this is a, a leading and deliberate question because we actually haven't had this kind of a conversation before uh, to date. So this is the kind of thing that I, I would ask an artist. I mean, what can you, what can you do on the Casser stage that you can't do anyplace else? So I present to all arts. What is it that the Casser stage can bring to all arts that you can't get anyplace else? You have an artist in mind, you have a, have a production. I'm going to give you, I mean, maybe kind of a, um, a boring answer. I think you're looking for a more creative answer, which I'll work on. It's going to take me a minute. But, you know, okay. it, immediately what I think of is exactly what we've done. I mean, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this project couldn't have been done anywhere else. Um, because it was so dependent on all of these different um, groups coming together. So, you know, the fact that you have this beautiful theater, that it is on a college campus, that you're bringing world-class artists, that there happens to be a, I mean, world-class uh, broadcast um, division right next door um, that has incredible equipment and expertise and people, students who are going to help, um, you know, all of these things came together in such a way that I really can't think of another place where this could have happened in this way. Um, so, I mean, I think in a way that's already been answered. Like, I, it is. Well, you're, certainly making me, you're certainly making me smile, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really, it, it's kind of, it's the perfect, the perfect recipe. It has all of the ingredients. Um, that, I mean, I, I still kind of marvel about it. And I talk about this project all the time. I mean, as an example of something that I think has just really worked so beautifully for us. Um, but in terms of um, an artist that I would like to see you bring, I mean, I am really curious to, um, to do an opera, like a big, big, splashy, complicated, huge opera um and maybe one okay. that you know takes over the stage and some of the audience and really i mean that would be something that we could really i think have some fun with in terms of how to how to capture it and how to be experimental with it and take some take some production risks big well, cat. i have a couple I, I have a okay you 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 set me off i got some ideas <laughs> i've got we, i have some ideas um, Good. Uh, I don't know. I'm not so sure about the big sprawling part, but um, um, but <laughs> I, mean, I think one of the things that we're going to, I'm hoping we do as we move forward, is that we have more time to talk about content mm -hmm. um, and why uh, peak performances is, is presenting what it's presenting. Um, and spending time discussing how to capture it. Um, I mean, that was what was so amazing about Falling and Loving is, is that the, it's a very innovative capture. 
I mean, there's, there's nothing um, regular about it. I mean, the overhead cameras, on-stage cameras, um, the six robotic cameras that are installed in the Castle Theater all were part of your deployment. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, in order to capture a show like Falling and Loving, like you really needed to throw every possible tool you had at it. Um, because when you have bowling balls flying around and water falling from the sky and flour and glitter and everything else, I mean, it, it, it really makes things difficult. You know, like audio, what happens when you can't put microphones on the actors? <laughs> well, you have to figure out ways to, um, you know, get really creative. And this is a, just a huge credit to your staff. I mean, everyone jumped in and we found every microphone we could and we planted it every place that we could where it would stay kind of clean um, and went for it. And that's like another, you know, in terms of like risks that we can take, um, you know, it's, it, that's not every team in every theater that would have been willing to just roll up their sleeves and say. The production team is uh, highly skilled and they, they like taking risks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know they get they like the challenges. I mean, the five programs that that we did capture before the pandemic interrupted our cycle of seven. I mean, we, the falling and loving. Um, there was Martha Graham Company with uh, the auditions, which was a newly commissioned piece. Uh, Sean Gandini, juggler extraordinaire, coming off of his amazing run of Akhenaten at the Met. Um, Grand Band was six pianos um, on stage with work by composers like Missy Mazzoli and Julius Eastman. And then we wound up, uh, the final capture was Richard Alston, which was deeply emotional and sentimental in many ways because that was Richard's final American performance. His company disbanded a month later. And it um, is so beautiful. That show, I, I wasn't, I was out on maternity leave. Um, the baby had arrived by the time that show happened, so I couldn't be there live for it. So the first time I saw it was when I saw the, the first, the rough cut. And I started watching it and I immediately emailed the, the producer who was working on it and said, this, this show is just so breathtaking. I mean, the lighting, the costumes, the music, the whole thing, it's just so beautiful. And I'm so, so glad that we were able to, to capture it. Well, this is, this is a delightful conversation. And I, you know, the part that's um, so important is, is that it's, it's a real partnership. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the elements work well together. Um, I don't think that I've uh, understood something uh, a partner, or shall I say, I don't feel that a partner I've worked with has understood our mission as well as All Arts understands what we're trying to do. And that's, that, that's very satisfying and vice versa. I mean, I think as you, uh, All Arts, and if you go to the All Arts webpage, if you get their newsletters, if you, you'll see the array of cultural activities that you can be involved with. Um, it, yeah, we have, we have it's, so much, um, you know, 
PKHD is going to roll out, um, as Jed said, October 11th. But in the meantime, um, you know, get over there and and check it all out. There's uh, a ton of really really great programming, short form, long form, every genre, um, something for everybody for sure. And it's all free, and you can get it on your phone, your tablet, your smart TV, computer, broadcast television. I mean, really, wherever you find video, we are there. So go check us out for sure. We're going to be there with you. So That's right. That's right. We'll Thank you, there. Christy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look forward to um, October when we're going to break the news about the next couple of projects. I can't wait. I can't wait. We're going to, I mean, there's so much opportunity. We could talk another half hour about the upcoming season, but we're already trying to think of, um, you know, new ways to kind of push the envelope in terms of production um, and really start capturing in an even more, you know, dynamic way. So I'm excited for everyone. Well, to I'm, I, my own personal hope is, is that we find a work that we actually create just for television. Yes. Yep. Yep. Using it's all, you know. Yeah, I think the possibilities are really endless because of all the reasons that we've already discussed. So I'm excited to jump back in and uh, see what that's going to look like. Under, under your leadership, we're going to go places. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Back at you. Okay. Thank you.